How's everybody doing? How many of you have seen the weather report? And how many of you are glad you live in Florida? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. You know it's cold when it's too cold to snow. <laughs> That's cold. <laughs> uh, I was just telling Pastor UL in the year that I spent in Michigan in the military, we didn't have any snow that year because it was so cold. So I've been delivered, oh, praise the Lord. Uh, after that, I went to the tropics and never went back north again. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Hey, I want to remind you to please check your announcements as we're coming to the end of the month and um, keep track of what's going on. We got some Saturday services coming up and different times than usual. So, And there's some sign-up sheets in the foyer that you may be interested in. Father, we bless you. Father, we honor you. We glorify you. We give you all the praise. There's none like you, Lord Jesus. You are the glorious King, the mighty God, so worthy to be praised. High and lifted up by you, risen Lord, risen Savior. You're the living one. You're the glorious one, the mighty one, the majestic one, King of kings, Lord of lords. There is none like you, Lord, so worthy of praise, worthy to be exalted. You are the Most High God. You are Father. You are King. Oh, I thank you, Lord, your Savior, Redeemer. Thank you for all that you are, my healer, provider, protector, deliverer. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that it's not just a theology, but it's a reality that we walk in every single day, that we come to know you, develop a relationship with you, that we're able to be intimate with you, Lord God. Oh, we bless you, we honor you, and magnify you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that as we come before your word this evening and sit at your feet, that your Holy Spirit will teach us and impart revelation knowledge into our life. Father, that will not just be words that we hear, but it will be words that we can apply into our life and start living the word. Father, that as we live the word, we'll have the results of your word. Father, it's not just about knowing, it's not just about saying, but it's living. The just shall live by faith. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we continue to grow in a manner, uh, that we continue to grow in conforming to the image of Jesus, developing in your divine nature. And the more that we walk in your word, the more that we live by faith, the more we will walk in a manner worthy of you and pleasing you in all respects. Father, we thank you. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. Well, guess where we're going to open up to? The book of Revelation, chapter 2. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then next week we should finish up from the book of Revelation. So um, as, we well, as we said about in, in Revelation, he talks to seven churches, which is the number of perfection. So whatever he says to seven churches, it has to do with every church. And it has to do with every individual in every church. Isn't that right? And I don't mean just people that come and sit in church, but I mean everybody that's within the body of Christ. You know, so, uh, um, so there's nothing in there that uh, he hasn't covered. And uh, he's talked about commendations. He's talked about corrections. 
and then he also talks about rewards. So we've looked at the commendations, we've looked at the corrections, we have looked at uh, who Jesus was in every single one of these churches, that, that he was a piece of the revelation of what John saw in, John chap in, in Revelation chapter 1. And all that Jesus was and what he saw, a piece of him was in every single church. That he walks in the midst of the church, he walk, he's the man in the middle, he visits the church, he walks in the church, he sees things for himself, he comes to scrutinize, he comes to look, he comes to observe. Not only how the church is run, but he's looking at us as individuals, how we receive the word, how we hear the word. Isn't that right? The attention that we give, the focus that we set. Just like when he sat by the treasury, he didn't come to see how much they gave, he came to see how they gave. He came to see their attitude and um, their motivations and all the things that go on on the inside of us. That many times we try to hide with an outside show or an outside appearance, but Jesus knows everything that goes on the inside because he is looking at our heart. Aren't you glad he does? Aren't you glad that he can correct the things that need to be corrected? He shows them to us. You know, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts. And if we'll let him search, he'll show us what is good. He'll show us what needs to be changed. He'll show us what needs to be corrected. And it'll help us to live and overcome his life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus never comes to correct you in order to condemn you. He comes to help you so that you can fix these things and walk as an overcomer in this life. Amen. So here in Revelation chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, one and then verse four. It says to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, write the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. He says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Hello, Barbara. We're glad you're there. Hello, Sidna. We're glad you're there. It's good to connect together. Amen. Amen. So when he's talking to the church of Ephesus, he says they left their first love or their early way of loving. He talked to them and said, if you remember, I'm not going to go through everything because we've, we've dealt with this for weeks. But he said that they were still persevering. They were still standing and they were still doing. They were doing the work as they needed to do, but they left the wonder. They were still doing the toil, but they've left the twinkle. They were still persevering, but they left the pursuing. Amen. You know, it's just like you can go to, go to work. You can provide for the family. You can repair the house. You can cook. You can meet the needs in the, in the household, but you're only going through the motions and you're disconnected. You ever talk to somebody and you know they're someplace else? And what has happened? Lost the early way of loving. In fact, go over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48. Very important verse. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47 and 48. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. Now just stop here for the abundance of all things. Serving the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart 
joy and a glad heart. This is not just going through the motions. This is not just doing what you're supposed to do. Well, I believe, well, you know, this is what God wants me to do, so this is what I'm doing. But it's done with joy and a glad heart. And joy and a glad heart creates the abundance of all things. But he said, you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, verse 48. So therefore, or because of that, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord sends against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things. And he'll put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, we understand that we're not going into this, but in the Hebrew, that is not written the way it's written in English. It was not written that way in the Hebrew and the tenses of the words. It means that God will allow this to happen to you because of your choice. You chose not to serve him with joy and a glad heart. Therefore, because of your choice, you have a direct responsibility to what happens to you. Which many people don't want to believe that. Well, that's really, you know, <laughs> the way it is. And whether you believe it or not, yeah. it's still the way it is. So the best thing would be believe it and straighten things out. And then you can walk in joy, a glad heart, and the abundance of all things instead of living under a curse. Amen. So back over to Revelation again. Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, uh, you have left your first love. Okay? So, talking about, it's a heart condition in what you do. It's not just about going through the motions. Uh, you can work within a ministry and go through the motions. I can work as a pastor and just go through the motions. I can be a husband and just go through the motions. Well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. My wife asked me the other night to make her some hot cocoa. Okay, that's what you want. Yeah, I'll make her some hot cocoa. I don't know why she got to bug me. Yeah. Now, I may not say that out loud, but I could be thinking that. But I'm going through the motions, and it looks like, oh, I'm making hot cocoa. You're making hot cocoa. See, but the motion means nothing. God looks at the heart. And depending on what's in your heart will determine whether your work is wood, hay, and straw or gold, silver, and precious stones. It was gold, silver, and precious stones. I wanted to make it for her. I know you're waiting. You're hanging on the edge of your seat. You wanted to know that. Huh? You could tell by the taste of it. Amazing. So, Jesus says, I still hold and I still walk among you, but you're disconnected. Therefore, remember, he says, remember. You know, I think that's uh, in the next verse. Is that what it says in verse 5? Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Remember, where have you fallen from? doesn't mean you've fallen out of grace. It doesn't mean you've fallen and you're on your way to hell. That's not what it means. It says, remember from where you have fallen. And what's he's talking about? The early way of loving. Remember, remember that. Re remember from where you have fallen and where you have come to and, and how you're doing things now. Remember, what's the first thing you remember? Why did you get saved? Why did you get saved? That's what you should remember. You know, 
doesn't matter about what about today. Well, why did you get saved? And why is the relationship with the Lord not like it was back then? One thing we always say to couples that have issues, why did you get married? Do you remember why you got married? And usually the answer is, yes, I do remember, but they didn't do what they're supposed to do. But it's two-way street. But remember, remember, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? You know, is he just a religious relic? Is he a living person? Are you in a living relationship with him? Who is Jesus to you? Remember how you actively loved him. You didn't just work for him. You know, you could start a new job and you actively love the job. And two years later, you just go to work. And you know what somebody said, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. You just have to not stop loving it. So remember, remember. Remember how you actively loved. Remember how you actively loved your spouse and didn't just do things out of responsibility. My wife is still my best friend, best helper in the world. She's the one that's brought my life and made it as good as it is. At least she's the second person that's made it as good as it is. And it gets better all the time. So I don't just work to take care of her, to take care of her at the house, to meet her needs but I actively love her. <laughs> She's more than just a responsibility. You understand? Okay, let's move on from that. That's the air's getting thick. Verse 7. <laughs> he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's in the paradise of God. The tree is in the paradise or it's in the garden of God. Okay? So in that place, in that paradise, there's no place, it's no place of toil. There's not a place of sweating. It's not a place of being overworked. In fact, if you remember, when Lazarus died and the other man died, the one man wound up in hell and Lazarus wound up in Abraham's bosom, which was called paradise. And the man in hell was suffering torment because you, if you're in hell, you go with your soul and you go with your feelings and you feel all the torment and the agony. But Lazarus, who was in paradise, he went with his soul and he had all of his feelings, and he was being comforted, and life was wonderful. Because there was no sweat, there was no toil, no work. Are you with me? And he says here, to him who overcomes, I'll grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, another thing we know about the garden is that when Adam and Eve was in the garden, God would come and walk and talk with them in the garden. And he'll come and walk and talk with you in that garden 
in that paradise. Isn't that right? Amen. No longer, see, no longer will you be distracted from that early way of loving. And the garden represents a fullness, a fullness of life. So the temptation that he's talking about here that needs to be overcome, because he says to him who overcomes, the temptation is that in your everyday life with the Lord, the temptation is to lose the wonder, to lose the twinkle, and to lose the pursuing. Pursuing him, not pursuing stuff or pursuing things or pursuing a job. It's pursuing him on a regular basis. It's the wonder of him in your life on a regular basis. The twinkle in your eye when you think about him on a regular basis. The temptation is to not to lose that, to get all caught up in the distractions and the actions of life are you with me the fullness of the garden if we'll overcome those temptations then you'll receive the fullness of life in close companionship with Jesus and who said this the man in the middle the man in the middle that walks down the gut of the church and scrutinizes and observes everything that's going on this is the one that has told you this. Well, Pastor, you know, if, if, if I just go to heaven, then I'll, I'll have that paradise. No, you won't have it unless you overcome that temptation here in life. Rewards are not for everybody. Rewards are for overcomers. Everybody that he talks to in the church is a born-again believer, but not everybody's an overcomer. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. He's going to go on now to the church of Smyrna. And to the church, to the angel, or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, there was no rebuke for the church of Smyrna. They were under such extreme persecution, political persecution from the Roman Empire. And he's encouraging them not to fear and telling them to remain faithful. As far as Jesus is concerned, this is not an unreasonable request. A lot of people are like, well, can't you see what I'm going through? What is he, what is he blind? Uh, I'm sorry. He lives in you. He knows exactly what you're going through. You don't have to remind him. But he's not being unreasonable where he's telling him, don't fear. Okay? Jesus was obedient, wasn't he, to the point of death and even death on the cross. You, only, you can only deal with the stress of tomorrow by handling the stress today. If you don't handle the stress today, you won't handle the stress tomorrow. As the days go on, the stresses in the world are going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you and the church can't handle the stresses of today, it's probably because you're getting sucked back into the world's way of doing things and tomorrow's going to really get bad. This is the time to get disconnected from the world system and get going in the kingdom of God. 
And like we said, if you can't stand up to the pressures of your family or your friends, how are you ever going to stand up to the pressures of the world? Don't get quiet on me now. Are you with me? He's telling us to lay down our life against the flesh. Do we do that? Do we lay down our life against the flesh? And he's saying be faithful all the way. Faithful in the middle of adversity. In the middle of adversity, that's when you're faithful. Faithfulness is not shown when things are going good. Faithfulness is shown in the middle of adversity. When does faithful, faithfulness shown in a marriage relationship? When there's a problem. When a problem rises up, you've got that little tiff going on with each other, and you've got to then prove to be faithful. Because you know, pressure magnifies. Are you with me? Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So the temptation is to quit. That was the temptation, to quit. But Jesus is the one who walked through and overcame death. And he says that just like him, you can receive the same victor's crown that he received. Amen. You should read the first chapter of the book of Hebrews and find out what Jesus received because of what he went through. Don't fear the one that can destroy the body. He says, don't worry about the first death. I'm proof it can't hold you. That death, physical death, is not the end. It's a doorway. It's all that it is, a doorway into something better. And it can't hold you. Death is the last enemy to be put underfoot. Death will spit at you, it'll cuss you, it'll scream at you, it'll, it'll jeer at you, but you're just walking on over, son, walking on over death and walking on in to eternity. And while you're on your way, you can kick him in the face. It's okay. It's the last enemy to put underfoot. Amen? Amen. Death cannot hold you. Jesus is proof of that. If he was raised, you can be raised. He's proof of the resurrection. Isn't that right? Don't fear the one who can destroy the body because I'm living proof that there is no defeat. And who said this? The living one. Isn't he, isn't he the one that he showed himself to spurn it to be the living one? The living one says this. Amen. Amen. Verses 12, 14, and 15. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, and I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way Hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, Jesus is speaking to the church of Pergamum as the one who has a two-edged sword. Now, the teachings of Balaam, you know, Balaam was that screwball prophet. He was actually an illegitimate prophet. 
and he would do things for money. And King Balak wanted Balaam to come and curse Israel so, Balak, so King Balak could then have power over Israel and take control of them. Well, every time Balaam went to curse Israel, the Lord had, a, uh, had him to speak a, uh, a blessing. And Balak would get all ticked off, and he tried it a second time. Same thing happened. Balak would get really mad, and Balaam would say, let me do it again. And the third time, still just as bad. He could not curse this is something you need to learn. If you are of God, not born again, get this out of your thinking. I'm born again. No, no, no. It's not about being born again. It's about being born again and living like it. Living the kind of life God wants you to live. When you do that, you can't be cursed. Now, as a born again believer, you've been saved spiritually. You can't be cursed to hell. You're born again. But if you live right, you can't get cursed in this life either. That's right. You could dance on the devil's curse. Can't touch you. That's right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So Balaam wanted the money. So he taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, the men of Israel. And he got them involved with the women of Baal, which was the the de demon god, he got them involved with the women of Baal, and the women of Baal then enticed them to start sacrificing to idols and get involved in immorality. Well, by living that way, what happened? The curse automatically came upon Israel, and Balak was able to take control of them, and they went into captivity. So what was the teachings of Balaam? It's okay to live in immorality. It's okay to live uh, and sacrifice things to idols. And the teaching of the Nicolaitans was all about freedom of the flesh by taking control through sin. In other words, by a life of sin, you can take control of the flesh. You can live in immorality. You can live in fornication. You can live in idolatry. And by doing that, you can get free from it. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? But the flesh loves it. Yeah. The flesh likes that kind of stuff. And, you know, we've all come out of that garbage. Yeah. You know, we've all come out of the pagan world. So we know. So as dumb as it sounds today, it sounded pretty good to us back then. And what happened? They held to the teachings of Balaam. They held to the teachings of Nic Nicolaitans. Therefore, they brought a self-made curse upon themselves. Because if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. It's a principle of the word of God. You can't get around it. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. He doesn't have to dish out. People think he's dishing out punishment. He's dishing out hard time. He's dishing this out. He don't dish out nothing. You dish it out to yourself. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow in your life is what you will reap. If we don't like what's going on in our life, we've got to look at different things of what we're sowing. Verse 16. So he goes on and says to them, Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Okay? So here they were in, in, in a 
town in a city, the city of Pergamum, it was called the place where Satan dwells. And there was so much pagan idolatry. The temples there, the temple of Zeus was there, and it was in the form of a throne. And, um, and it was Satan's throne. And there was just so much going on in that city. And it was all pagan worship and all that. And uh, he, he actually said to them, I know where you dwell. But to him, circumstances are not an excuse to compromise. Not even fear for your life is an excuse to compromise. Jesus rebuked these in Pergamum for living in sin and fearing the sword of man. Because the threat, having so, many, so much paganism going on around them, the threat was always... Stop living like that. Stop, being, stop saying you're a Christian because if you are, we're going to take you to the Colosseums and we're going to, if the governor says sword up, you live. If the governor says the sword down, you die. And Jesus was saying, stop being afraid of the sword of man. I'm the one that has the two-edged sword, the sharpest sword of all. Isn't that right? Don't be afraid with their sword because he said, I'm coming with mine, and there'll be no getting away from that one. Jesus does not pacify anybody. He says, get it together and get your life straight. I've given you everything you need to be the overcomer, and you have no excuse except you don't want to. That's the way Jesus talks. That doesn't sound like the ooey-gooey, lovey Jesus of our emotions. Oh, love, love, love. Oh, Jesus loves us. No, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus puts you in your place in a heartbeat. You know why? Because this stuff will kill you. He does not pacify people just because you're having a hard time or living in a bad situation. He says, get it together. Repent. Get back where you need to be. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my blood. I've given you my life. I've given you everything of the kingdom. I've given you all that you need. It's all at your disposal. I've given you my word so you can have faith. I've given you my grace that you can attach to by that faith. I've given you everything. I'm the greater one that lives on the inside of you. You can overcome and be victorious over the world by faith. I've given you it all. If you don't overcome, it's because you don't want to. He's pretty straightforward about this stuff. Amen. This is why we talk Sunday about being strong and courageous. To observe to do what the word says. Some people think, oh, I, it's probably going to get really bad out there. But again. If you can't be strong and courageous with the word of God around your family, around your friends, around your coworkers, around your boss who you might be afraid is going to fire you, if you can't be strong and courageous in that, you're not going to deal with what's coming on the world. You'll get so wrapped up with them, and they'll pull you right on out. You need to start now. In the last days, stressful, troubled, hard-to-bear times will come. 
you need to start now. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. He who overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes idolatry, false worship of pagan gods, the worship of things, the worship of creation. How about that one? The deception uh, that immorality is okay under certain circumstances. No, it's all of this stuff that needs to be overcome. Jesus is looking for believers who overcome the world by faith despite the circumstance they live in because they live by faith. Most Christians live by trouble. When I have trouble, I run to the word. If I don't have trouble, I never even think about the word. You know, that's not living by faith. You know, what does it say in Corinthians? We walk by faith and not by sight. And what does it mean to walk? Remember we talked about this when, when um, um, I think it was Plato, and he would walk and he would talk with his students, and then he had a student, Aristotle, and they would do the same thing and walk and talk. And the whole idea about it was is that when Jesus was in the garden with Adam, he would walk with Adam and he would teach Adam as they were walking through the garden. And that was the same idea. Well, walk by faith, what does walk mean? To live. To live. So my walk, my living is controlled by faith, not controlled by what I see. Not controlled by what I feel. Not controlled by what my family says. Not controlled by what friends say to me. Not controlled by what coworkers say to me. Not controlled by what I hear when I'm in the grocery store. My life is controlled by faith because I continually meditate on the Word of God. Therefore, I am like a tree planted by streams of water. I do not fear when the famine comes. My leaf will always be green, and I will always continue to bear fruit because my roots are in the streams of the living God's water. It's called the Word. Amen. Amen, amen. You got to start now, folks. Never too late to start. Believers were compromising because they're looking for relief. But Jesus says, I give myself the bread of life, the hidden manna, the bread of life. And I will satisfy your deepest hunger. And I will sustain you. And I will fulfill you in every situation and circumstance. Amen. How many of you remember that commercial? Wonder Bread, Bill's Body Strong, 12 Ways. You know, how many of you remember that commercial? You all just dated yourself. All right. <laughs> Wonder Bread, Bill's Body's 12 Ways. Do you think a piece of bread would do it? You think a loaf of bread would do it? Now, supposing that they told you the truth, okay? A piece of bread's not going to do it. A loaf of bread's not going to do it. What's it going to take? A consistent diet. Same thing with the Word of God. You get some people in their life, well, you know, I tried that Jesus stuff, nothing worked. Oh, you're the rock of Gibraltar. You're, there's no quitting with you. Right. 
You know, we have been through some hard, hard, difficult times. In fact, we started the ministry in the middle of some very, very hard, difficult times, things that I've never gone through again and never want to go through again. And we had to stand on the word. And it was tough. And it was work. And it was hard. But the word of God delivered us. Why? Because we were taking in a consistent diet. And it built our life 12 ways. <laughs> Praise God. He'll satisfy your deepest hunger. He will sustain you and fulfill you in all circumstances. And he'll give you a white stone. A white stone and a new name written on the stone. It's a special eternal revelation for the overcomer. And it's like none other. Like none other. It's like your ace in the hole. See, back then when you had uh, in those pagan temples, you would have a white stone in your, in your robe and you would pull that white stone out, had the name of your God on it, and that was your invitation into the temple. That's how they got into the temple. And Jesus says, I'll give you a white stone, and it's got a special revelation on it that nobody knows. But I know what it is because I'm the one that wrote on it, and you know what it is because you're the one that will have it. And it's a personal invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ that guarantees your admittance. Thank you, Jesus. And who said this? The one with the two-edged sword has promised this. Amen. Amen. Verse 18, and then 20 and 23. And to the angel or the pastor of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols and I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds he's revealed here as the one with the eyes of fire because he has a blazing anger against sin because he died for that sin he shed his blood for that sin he went to that cross for that sin and he went into hell to pay the price for that sin he hates sin because he knows what sin does to people and he sees through the disguises into one's heart and his feet are like burnished bronze because they're burnished they're not bronzed they're burnished which means they're almost ready to walk in judgment the leadership of the church, in fact, Jezebel was known as the pastor's wife. And they are leading the bondservants astray with seduction, teaching them to compromise with the world, and spiritual adultery will always lead to natural. And Jesus rebuked them for not having, like him, eyes to perceive and judge error. How come you don't know this is error? This Jezebel is teaching you this stuff, and you don't even know that this is error. Now, Jezebel, let me just tell you this. Jezebel does not mean somebody that's a flashy dresser and eyes and their hair's all made up and eye makeup and all that stuff. That's not Jezebel. 
Jezebel can be a guy. Jezebel is a spirit, and it's a controlling spirit. And a controlling, manipulating spirit is a Jezebel. You don't put up with that nonsense for a minute. Control and manipulate. <laughs> so the whole church here in Thyatira was controlled and dominated by a Jezebel spirit. And again, teaching. If you want to rule sin, you got to walk in the totality of it. If you want to reach the nation, you got to be just like them. I knew a woman that her father taught her, you want to reach the prostitutes, you got to go be a prostitute. What are you, a bonehead? What is wrong with people? Where did they get this nonsense from? That means that Jesus never reached anybody. Jesus couldn't reach nobody. He wasn't a tax collector. He wasn't a thief. He, he wasn't a, a, a murderer. He wasn't a robber. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't religious. He wasn't anything of anybody that he came to minister to, but he reached them all. Amazing. Amazing. The stuff we come up with. Wow. But that's what was being taught back then. So it's nothing new today. Same old nonsense, same game, different name. The devil's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today. The boy just won't last forever. Amen. Jesus said to him who overcomes, if you hold fast, I'll give you real authority in the millennial reign. Even if you're stuck in this seduction with Jezebel, repent, overcome it, and you'll gain real authority. Amen. Verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Uh, I think it's verse 25 then. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come. Verse 26. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Keep to be a garden, to be a guard rather, and a warden, to keep an eye on, to watch and to obey to keep it and to hold on to it. It's the same thing God said to Adam in the garden. Keep the garden. Watch over it. Protect it. Be a guard, a warden over, these, over the uh, garden. And then he says about the deep things of Satan as they call it. In other words, they call, oh, this is the deep things of Satan. To, to, to Jesus, it's like a little gnat on the face. Just pff, spit that stupid thing away. Deep things. It's just like people say, oh, my soul, my, but, you know, I know I got born again, but my soul is in such a deep term. Your soul is nothing. Your soul is nothing. Man has told you and taught you that your soul is so hard to deal with and so hard to fix. It's a, it's a piece of cake. Your spirit was the one that was in trouble, and Jesus had to come so you could get a new spirit and be born again. Your body don't have a chance, and you're not going to get a new one until Jesus comes back again. But your soul, he told you to take care of it. He said, you renew your mind, and you restore your soul. The soul is the easiest thing to fix. That's why Jesus gave it to you to do. 
Amen. Just telling you. Hallelujah. Where are we? All right, let's go to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And to the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars, says this, I know your deeds, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. He's revealed with the seven spirits, which just is the number of completion. doesn't mean there's seven spirits. There are not seven Holy Spirits. There's just one, but it's the number of completion. And we know the seven stars had to do with the ministry. And again, it has to do with completion, perfection, seven. He says, you have not found your deeds complete. Sardis was tempted to think that everything was fine and it produced a complacency attitude and they neglected their foundations. They thought they were invincible in their city, but cracks were forming. So how do you neglect foundations? How is it that you think you're invincible, but cracks form in your life? It's by being a hearer of the word and not a doer. Deceiving your own self, thinking you know something that you don't know. Because you don't live it. If you knew it, you would do it. That's, if you knew it, you would do it. If you don't do it, it's because you don't know it. Although you think you know it because you got something memorized in your head. But having something memorized in your head is not proof that you know anything. It's your life. Why? Because I walk by faith. Show me your faith without the works, and I don't even have to say a word to you. You can see my faith by my life. You know exactly what I believe by the way I live. People that want to go, oh, man, man, yak, 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 yak. Oh, yeah, I believe this. I believe that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No. If you really lived it, you wouldn't have to say a word. Cracks. And when we talk about, see, a lot of times we talk about learning foundations, getting foundations in your heart. And people are like, oh, yeah. I know the found some of you are like that. Oh, I, I know those foundations, but you don't live it. You know it. I know it. Let's stop playing games. If you're not living it, you don't know it. So you obviously need to hear it again. Because the more you hear it, the more it gets in you, the more you can then do it. Are you with me? This isn't a game or trying to prove who knows what. Oh, you know, I've been saved for 25 years. I'm going to a foundational class. What's that going to show? It shows you need to hear the word. And it shows you're interested in being an overcomer yeah. instead of continually being overcome. Being a hearer and not a doer is neglecting foundations and cracks are forming. Developing habits that would allow the enemy to find entrance into your life. Because of not doing the word, we are developing the wrong kind of habits, and the enemy is finding entrance into our life. It saw it as they became proud about what they thought they had. There's a lot of people, a lot of believers like that. They think they're proud, and they think that they have something. And they want to tell you about it. But there's cracks forming. Jesus said, you might be proud. And people might think, oh, you are vibrant and you are alive. He said, you're dead. You're dead. 
because you're not doing what you know. And he calls that dead. Sitting in church and hearing the word and growing in the word doesn't make you. It's when you start living it, doing it, operating the principles of the word of God in your life. This goes beyond, oh, I want to be healed, or beyond, I need to have some money. This goes way beyond that. If Jesus died just so you can have your bills paid, he paid a high price for nothing. Now, there's a, that's a place you start at, of course. But he wants you to go way beyond that. It goes beyond just you. And it goes beyond you and others. It goes into the world. Amen. Are you with me? It's like that verse that says, a, to the wealthy, their wealth is like a, strong, a high, strong tower in their own imagination. Well, you may have a wealth of the word, and you may think that's your strong tower, but it's only in your imagination if you're not doing it. If you're not doing it, you're still dead. Are you with me? You get complacent from proud thinking. Proud thinking makes you complacent because you think you have something. Verses 4 and 5. I know this can be hard, but it's the doorway to overcoming. He says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now go back to verse 4 just for a moment. He says here, they have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Who made them worthy? Jesus didn't make them worthy. They made themselves worthy because they're walking. They haven't soiled their garments Therefore, they are worthy. Many are called, but few are chosen. God calls everybody, but only those that answer the call are chosen because you choose by the answering. God didn't choose. God called. But when you answer, then you've made the, chose, the choice. So the chosen ones are the ones that answer. It's not God choosing. God's called everybody. Are you with me? To him who overcomes, in, in, again, in uh, verse 5, he who overcomes, okay? So the overcoming in this city of Sardis, in this church, the whole idea of overcoming was to overcome complacency. The complacency of thinking I know something when I'm not doing it. The complacency of thinking, oh, I got a strong foundation because of all this word I've heard, but I'm not doing it. Complete, creates a complacent attitude. And he says they'll be clothed in white garments. White garments was a symbol of one that was proven committed to a king back in those days. And white garments was always a symbol of deeds. In fact, in, in, I think it's in chapter 19, it talks about the, the saints will wear white and they'll be clothed in white and it's their deeds that they've done. So white garments is a symbol of the deeds, which Sardis was not having. Sardis was a hearer, but not a doer. 
So he says here, if you overcome your complacency and overcome your proud attitude, then you'll be clothed in white garments because now you will become complete and you'll be a doer, not just a hearer. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. Now, that book of life is not the book of, of life as far as being born again. It's the book of deeds. It is a book of deeds. Okay? And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So it's coming to a place of completion where you have faith and action. See, actions is what completes your faith. Without the actions, your faith is incomplete. Faith and actions is complete. Unlike the dead works that they were involved in, Jesus looks for faith, faith that produces living works. So again, it's works that is a, is a product of faith, not just dead works and something I think I just need to do or supposed to do. It's living works based on living faith. Jesus says, you remember me and I'll remember you. And the one who had the seven stars and the seven spirits, the one of completeness, has promised this for completed deeds. Amen. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy and true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one will open. Jesus describes himself as holy and true, one that has total authority and the one who has the key to give access 11 and 12 I am coming quickly hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown he who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he'll not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name no correction is given to the church of Philadelphia. And he said that you'll be a pillar. A pillar is one that supports. But it's not just like a pillar, you know, what we think of, but it's the, the pillar of authority. It's a pillar of authority that supports. A pillar of influence that supports. A pillar that upholds the truth. This is the pillar that he says, you'll be a pillar in my temple. You'll be the one with great authority, great influence, and one that upholds the truth. And he says there'll be no going out anymore. Because you remember in the city of Philadelphia, because of all the earthquakes, people were running out all the time. He says you won't be running out anymore. There'll be no more fear or anticipation of harm. The answer is always the answer is, let me say, it, the answer is always in staying the course, not in running out. Every time you run out, you will face it again until you finally overcome it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The name of my God. Why will he write on him the name of his God? Because he's the owner. He's the owner. And he's the one you have intimate relationship with. And the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which is your city of citizenship. Remember, we're not in, we are in the world, we're not of the world. Our citizenship is of heaven, it's not of the earth. 
And he says, and I w- and uh, comes down out of heaven, my God, and my new name, a new name. Well, what's the new name? It's incommunicable. But it will be revealed. Who? To who? The one who is holy as he is holy. As he is holy and true, the one that's holy and true, it will be revealed. Amen. And you'll be given full authority and full influence. And this is promised by the holy and true one himself. All right, the last city, verse 14 through 16. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The true witness. He's a true witness so you can believe what he says, even if he's rebuking. They were rebuked for not having any spiritual value or usefulness. Something hot is therapeutic. Something cold is refreshing. But they were neither. They were lukewarm. You know, you ever go to get a hot meal Maybe you put it in the microwave and you thought you turned the microwave on, but you didn't, and you take it out of the microwave and it's still cold. Oh, this is awful. It's supposed to be hot. And then you want to get a cold meal or something, but it was left out too long and got warm. If cold is not cold and hot is not hot, if they're lukewarm, they're disgusting. And this is what he's talking about. He's not talking about a spiritual fervor. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It was an extremely wealthy city, Laodicea, and the church was very, very wealthy also, but they forgot the one that gave them the power to make wealth, and they lived like mere men, lived like a mere man. Being in a church... Born again, born of the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, have the Word of God, have the Spirit of God, have the anointing of God, the authority of God, the life of God, and living like a mere man. What a low life that would be. Thinking like the world, deciding like the world, going by the world's principles when God's called you up to a higher way of living. They were living like mere men. He says they've never pressed in to his divine nature. They were totally carnal. And Jesus rebukes them for not living a life that agrees with him because he is the amen. He rebukes them for not remaining faithful and walking in truth. He rebukes them for losing their salt and being a witness for him. He rebukes them for living for the creation instead of for the source of creation. The bottom line is, Jesus wants to be first place in all of our lives, not just when we have trouble. He paid the price for your life, for every part of your life. Maybe that's why, you know, there's so many times believers, it's amazing how many believers think they should never have a problem in life. Well, you know, I'm a believer. I have faith. I should never have a problem. Well, maybe you don't live as good as you think you do. I realize that's a hard statement because that takes a self-examination. And maybe I'm not where I think I ought to be. And maybe I've opened up a few doors that I shouldn't have. 
But God forbid I should be my problem. See, I'd rather blame it on that word. That word isn't right. Oh, what you teach isn't right. Oh, that word isn't right. Oh, all this other stuff isn't right. Anything but me. And you know what Jerry Seville said, don't you? When he looked in the mirror. He said, oh, my enemy, I have found you. (laughs) It's a hard thing to have to look at yourself. You know, before I got saved in the life that I lived, I liked doing stuff all the time. Because when I sat down and it was quiet, I was alone with me. I didn't like that. I did not want to visit me. That's a true story. Verse 20, 21, we'll close here. (laughs) Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I knock, 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 continually, continually, continually. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also came and sat down with my father on his throne. He always gives us an opportunity to make a choice. Always gives us an opportunity to change, to overcome before it's too late. That's why he said, open the door and I'll come in and dine with him, which was actually the last meal, the supper. So this is like last chance. I'm knocking at the door, last chance. I want to come in. It's supper time. If I don't come in for supper, night's coming, day's done. Chance is over. I will grant him, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. He'll sit down with me on my throne, not by my throne. Not next to my throne, but on my throne. You mean on his lap? No. The throne is like a couch. And you could sit like right on that couch with him. The overcomers are certainly those that are born again. We overcome the world. We've overcome death, hell, and the grave. And heaven is ours. But dear God, you're going to be there for eternity. How do you want to live when you get there? Are you happy with the way you live here? What makes you think you're going to be happy when you get there? If you don't prepare for when you get there, what's it going to be like when you get there? And you don't have a chance to come back and do it again. This is it. This is one chance. Get it right now so that for eternity it can be good. So although you get born again, you become a believer You ought to start living like you believe. You don't stop at being born again. All the churches here that Jesus talked to, all born again people of God. And he never said that they'll lose their salvation. But he is saying that there are great rewards to those that live and overcome his life. And it's not the same reward as those that are overcome by sin in their life. The spirit of the world is trying to get in the church. It has for a long time, just like every one of those churches there, it was the spirit of those cities getting into the church, and that was the problem. 
The spirit of the world is trying to get into the church. They want you to walk in tolerance. They want you to walk in gender acceptance. And if you call things what they are, sin, they'll tell you you're a hater. That's right. We hate sin. We don't hate people. We love the people. But we hate the sin. Jesus didn't die for your sin. He died to wash your sin away. But he loved you even though you were dead in sin. But there was no chance of a change if he didn't love you. If he connected you with your sin, you'd all be in hell just like me. But he didn't connect you to your sin. He said the sin is the way you live, but then there's you. I love you, and I'm going to help you with your sin. And that's why he came, because he loves you. He wants you to be free from the sin that has been holding you in captivity. The world is trying to get you to accept that sin so that everybody can live in their sin and the devil can drag you all to hell. That's what he wants. He wants to drag you to hell. And they want to call your names. So that the truth you stand on, you'll feel ashamed about it. But bless God, we're a pillar in the temple of God. We hold to the truth. We're strong and courageous to observe what the word of God says. There are promises and there are rewards. Promises and rewards. Every overcomer gets a reward. And the reward is for when? When is the reward for, do you know? It's for the millennial reign. Do you know what a millennial reign is? 1,000 years. A thousand. You think, how long you've been alive? You think that's been a long time? A thousand years of reigning. So you can either walk into that thousand year reign with some reward, or you can be, walk into that thousand year reign and thinking, oh dear God, what have I done? As somebody else walks off with your reward. Jesus is coming with his rewards and everybody's going to get his rewards. The thing is, are you going to get yours or is somebody else going to get yours? And the rewards are so great. This is why Jesus said. He's going to wipe away every tear because we're going to be crying over the stuff we're not getting. You're going to be like, I can't believe Bobby's walking off with my reward. But that was supposed to be mine. I was supposed to be mine. <laughs> Are you with me? A thousand years. What's a thousand years going to be like? Well, you could sit there and you could try to imagine it, or you can let things stir in your spirit. It's just like hearing the word of God. You can hear the word of God and try to figure it out in your head as you're hearing it, or you can let it just stir in your spirit. He says here, I also overcame. Jesus is the overcomer. How did Jesus overcome? 
because he went before the Father and said, not my will, but I choose your will. I know what you want. I'd rather not do it, but I know what you want. And therefore, I want what you want. And Jesus was the overcomer. And he now sits with his father, who he gave himself to, and they sit together on the throne. So now we are invited also to sit on the same throne, not the throne of Jesus, but the throne of Jesus and the father. Mm. All sitting together in heavenly places on the same throne. But who's going to sit there? The overcomer, the overcomer. How long will you sit there? A thousand years of total authority over the nations. For the overcomer, the victor, the one that was victorious over indifference, victorious over compromise, and victorious over complacency. They overcame the wood, hay, and straw of dead works. They overcame the deception of natural self-sufficiency. Sit in a place of true riches to where you truly go from rags to riches. You go from poor to, poor to rich, from naked to clothed. And this is spoken by the one true witness that does not lie, cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Amen. So verse 21 says, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, and I will also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Is there a 22? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 23. No? That's it? Okay. All right, then I must have already passed it. But he's telling us to hear, you know, and you need to hear what the Spirit is saying to all of the churches, because all of the churches, seven churches, is completion. Isn't that right? And we want to be zealous to repent where we need to repent and get things straightened out in our life. Because yes. it's a time of joy. It's a time of joy in the grace of God. You know, grace, see, grace, grace don't come to get you out of your sin. I don't know if you know that. Grace don't come to get you out of your sin. Grace comes to instruct you not to sin. That's what grace does. And faith is to attach to the grace so that you can get out of your sin. Not, not, not that, oh, I'm going to sin and now I'm getting out of it. No, it's that you don't walk into it. Faith attaches to grace to empower you so you don't walk into that. But if you're a compromiser, a compromiser will walk into it and then say, oh, grace will get me out of it. No, it won't. You are deceived, son. You are deceived. You will never find that in the Bible. And if you do, let me know. Go ahead. I, I, I challenge you to search it out. Because when you search it out, you'll find the truth. Amen. Are you with me? The life, living the life of an overcomer and enjoying an overcomer's rewards of 1,000 years years of leading with the overcomer Jesus himself you will lead for a thousand years with the overcomer Jesus himself hallelujah hallelujah glory to God glory glory to God amen oh father we thank you thank you father for your word
Father, we know that sometimes these things are hard. They are a little rough to take, but it's only rough on our flesh because our flesh don't want to change. Our flesh is very happy with the way it was and the way it is. Father, my flesh was very happy going to hell before I even got saved. But that wasn't the way that we ought to go. But your word comes so that we, as a born-again child of God, that out of our spirit, we can renew our minds, restore our soul, take control over that flesh, and walk in a manner that's worthy of you and pleasing you in all things, that we can walk in health, we can walk in abundance, we can walk in increase, we can walk as an overcomer, we can walk in authority over the things of the world, we can walk, Father, in your grace, we can walk in all things that you've given to us that pertains to life and godliness, we can walk, Father, with the living one, and we can enjoy a life full of joy and a full of peace. Oh, Father, we just thank you for it. We thank you so much, Lord for your direction, for your instruction, for your word, to keep us on track and keep us from going off into the wrong ways so that we can be the overcomer. For we are looking forward to that thousand-year reign and reigning with you. Father, we honor you, we bless you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. So next week, we're going to look at the final revelation of Jesus himself, and it will be a glorious time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that everyone in the sound of my voice, Father, has heard the word tonight in the room, on live stream, on podcast. Father, whether they hear it live or hear it archived, Father, that it's always the same. But I thank you, Lord, that it goes forth with power. It goes forth full of everything necessary to empower us to be able to bring about the change. Father, it's not hard to change. All it is is a matter of taking your word, for the word, Father, is your power. And I thank you that as I take in your word, I'm taking in your power that empowers me and enables me, Father, to stand strong, to be courageous, to do the things your word says and overcome the things of the world. We thank you, Father. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we thank you that your word says that there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. Father, we don't know how that works, how that happens, but you said it and we believe it. And we take your word, we take it inside of us, and we declare this word, Father, and it rises up on the inside of us strong. It rises up on the inside of us courageously, Father, that I am the one that gives, and I do increase all the more. We declare it over our giving tonight, and it will be so, for you have declared it. We do believe it. We set it in motion. We don't just put our faith in it, but we put our action to it, and faith will be complete, and it will bring about the results according to your word. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you joined us on live stream podcast, thank you again for being with us tonight. I do pray that the word of God has really been beneficial to you. And it has, like we said, within that word, it has the power in the germ of the seed. It has the power to grow on the inside of you, to empower you and to enable you to actually walk in the things that the word of God declares that you can be 
walking in that word, walking in that life, and walking in the victory that the word promises. And if you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newifamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. And if there's anything at all that we can pray with you about, it is always our privilege and honor to stand with you, our partners, and believe God for your greatest needs to be met. Amen.